Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Everyone, uh, have a seat, and uh, thanks again for, uh, for being here and for uh, learning with us. Uh, we have been in a, in a pretty uh, intense series. Some people have sent me a few notes, and they said, this series on the church, it's like intense. I was like, you know, and I left my house today, and my kids were like, I, I usually say bye to my boys, you know, and I said, you might want to listen to that today, because it's going to be intense today. It's going to be la passion. La passion, that's for Will. La passion. Like that, Willie? A bit of Spanish? No? No. Okay. Like, we've been trying to encourage you to think about what it means that we don't just go to church, we don't just, like, learn the Bible, we don't just pretend to be Christians. You, you should be, at some point in your life, just tired of being a Christian if you're just playing Christianity. I mean, I usually tell people, if you're not really going to do this, like, just go be something else. Like, there's a lot of other things to follow. But we, we actually wanted to encourage you that if you are a Christian and you want to grow in your faith, to think about what it means that we live in a world where people, even people who are Christians, I'm not sure why church matters, like why people go to church, why would they waste their time, and, and how this is such a central idea in the Bible. And, and, you know, this week I read something, and I thought about this COVID season, and I read this quote, like, did you know this? You can go to the slide. Did you know uh, that lipstick sales have plummeted by more than 50% in this pandemic? Did you know this? If you think about it, like, you know, think about why that is. All the makeup companies in the world, like, went on high alert, right? And they're like, Wait a second, people are wearing masks. They're not putting lipstick on, right? And so quickly what they started to do, the companies, they started to put focus on their branding and their work on what kind of makeup? Eye makeup. Because of how important it is that people like to be creative with makeup, whatever, and all this stuff. And I thought, you know what? Almost every industry in the world has had to think about the changes that COVID is forcing us to think about. It's not just a church problem. If you want a movie theater, you're of a crisis, whatever it is. But there's a unique challenge that we face in the context of the church. To think about how COVID maybe has brought to your attention, to my attention, things that maybe I thought I believed in, things that I maybe thought were important, things that I thought I really cared about. And then you realize, you know what? I actually don't care about any of this. You know, I've said this before and I, I've encouraged somebody to think about, has COVID, has the season of COVID drawn you closer to God or further away from God? Some of you have had extra time. Your schedule is stressful. Have you read the Bible more or have you read it less? Have you learned to pray deeper prayers and learning to trust God or have you started to pray less? Like COVID has been like such a great like aha time to be like, yeah, maybe I actually don't believe any of this. Maybe I'm a person who's more shaped by the world than what should be at the center of my life, which is worshiping Jesus. Maybe that's what's happened. And if that's what's happened to you, we are so happy that you're here. Because we believe that part of worshiping together is to help you pay attention to when this happens, not so that you would be sad and be like, woe is me, all my life is horrible, I'm not a good Christian, God doesn't love me. No, no, there's none of that. But to say, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to focus and be honest with myself. And to kind of 
that, that you would kind of say, God, draw me to this deeper place to understand what it is I believe and what it means to be a Christian. You know, in the context of the church, some of you have heard me say this. If you read this little ebook that I wrote for the church, and some of you have read it and been really encouraged by it, there's this quote that I use in the book, and it's actually from the Bible. It's not like my quote, right? And you'll see it on the screen, and it's something that, you know, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, who's one of the followers of Jesus, he says this. Jesus says, I, Jesus, will build my church, and the gates of Hades, some transitions say hell. You know, when I was young, I'm like, I think the word hell is in the Bible. <laughs> anyway, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some translation will not conquer it. That the church belongs to Jesus. You know, when I'm discouraged sometimes as a pastor, I always read this verse to remind me that this is not my church. None of you belong to me. We, together, belong to what Jesus is doing. And Jesus says, I am building my church. And I know there's a lot of people who would say, I don't really care what Jesus says. And I'm like, that's fine. But if you're a Christian, you care what Jesus says. You care that he gets to tell us what to do and how to live. That's not that hard, right? And so whenever I think about this, I think that when church becomes like this optional idea, this hangout, this something I should do on Sunday because it's cultural, and we forget that the church is the people of God of which Jesus is kind of in our midst and building his church to point other people to his goodness, to point other people to his glory, when we forget this, something happens. I'm gonna tell you what happens, okay? When we forget this, church not only becomes optional, but when church becomes optional, Jesus just becomes a good teacher. Jesus turns into like a guide and pastors become life coaches. Hey, just remember that. Whenever the church is optional, Jesus turns into like this good teacher with some friendly quotes that you can use when you're having a bad day on the internet and pastors become life coaches. If you ever see me becoming like life coach, hit me with your car. I told you better passion today, it's gonna get real. It's the point that the, that the church at the core is those people who are saying Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is the center of everything that it means to be a Christian. And we don't just read the Bible. We don't just learn about the Bible to have some good tips. We read the Bible because when we're learning the scriptures, we keep Jesus at the center of everything that we are. This is why this topic is so important. This is why we're taking time to encourage you to think about this, to say, you and I together, we are bricks in a sense in this church that Jesus is building. And he's using us to be part of this together and that we get to call each other brothers and sisters. Now, I know a lot of people that don't believe in church. And today I want to take the sermon time, our time together, to tell you about somebody who hated the church, like hated the church. This person's life was committed to destroying the church. That's their, their only commitment was to say, how do I destroy the church? And and I was thinking about this in, this in this time where so many of us can feel or can read about online of this feeling of hate, revenge, anger that is so much part of our culture. I mean, you see it everywhere. If we're not careful, actually, we actually feel it in our own lives. Like somebody bothers us or, I don't know if this has happened to you, right? You read something that somebody says online and you're like, they just that just bothered me. And sometimes, you know, I'll slow down to be like, why does that bother me? think about like there's things in our lives that we leave unattended and maybe God uses those intense emotions to get our attention 
Today I want to talk to you about this person in the Bible whose, whose mind was committed to destroying the church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would take to be, get up in the morning and be like, today, how do I find out where people are getting together as this church? How do I shut it down? How do I do that? Now you realize right away that the reason this person does this is because the church is already being the church. It's being effective as a body of people changing the world. And he's like, this can't happen. And some of you maybe know the story of this person, so you know, I want to kind of enter the biblical world of this person and help you understand them better. But let me just read a passage. We find this passage in the book of Acts where we're told a lot about this person in the book of Acts. And this is what we're told. Happens. Like, whoa, happens. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. But Saul, everyone say Saul, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, happy Mother's Day, and put them in prison. How long would it take you to call me and be like, Pastor Dom, it's not going to work anymore. Like, I, I was coming, I, mean, I wanted to help, but we're not going to make it next week. We heard about this guy, Saul, crazy guy. He's decided that he's going to destroy everything that has to do with the church, that has to do with Jesus, and we're not sure if, if we can really, really do this. Now, it's really important that you understand who this person Saul is. Saul, we know a lot about him in the context of the Bible, but just by the fact that his name is Saul, we know that his parents named him after the first king of, of Israel. His parents had some good dreams for him. This is Saul. And as we read about him in the Bible, if you're with us on our Monday night in our, in our discussion, we're going to talk more in depth about this. Saul is a good Jewish teacher. He's one of the great Jewish thinkers of this time. And you might be confused, but the Bible will use Saul and Paul, two names for him, almost interchangeable. So it could be confusing, right? And so they even sound the same. You're like, is Saul and Paul the same person? Yes. Okay, that happens sometimes. So don't be confused. Most scholars think that Saul is how people refer to him in his Hebrew context, and Paul is his name that's used in the Greek context, because that happened in the Bible. Now, what's so beautiful about this, if you want to take notes and you're thinking deeply about this, is that the passage we just read in Acts is written by somebody called Luke. That means Luke knows about Paul. Luke knows about Saul. This story was being passed around about this guy who's committed to destroying the church. He was a fanatic, and he had committed his resources, his time, as you're going to see, to end the gathering of the people who were worshiping Jesus as Lord. And one of the words that comes to mind sometimes when I think of reading about Paul, this might help you, is that Paul, Saul, he was a religious fundamentalist. Have you ever heard that word, like a fundamentalist? Such a, such a pregnant word. It means so many things. Like the word fundamental can mean a good thing. We care about the fundamentals, right? What's essential, right? And then in our culture, the word fundamentalist means like, I don't know. If, I, if you weren't wearing masks, I would say like, you know, crazy? Is it a positive word? When you think, oh, you're a fundamentalist, would you say, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. I'm, no, you know, you feel like it's a word that's meant to emphasize something negative fundamentalist. Now, you have to be really, really careful because Saul believes he's doing what's right in the eyes of God. 
One of the things that happens to us when we don't learn the Bible to grow in our love of who God is, is we then can use the Bible to hurt other people. Now, I want to give you a very simple thing to understand. That fundamentalism at its core can happen in any religion, by the way. It's not just a religion. It can happen even with an atheist. The person doesn't have to be a religious person. Fundamentalism kind of is built on this idea. This might help you, okay? Is that you're a person who has convictions and those convictions always lead you to confrontation. Okay, just think of it that way. That your convictions are not only your convictions, that if others don't have those convictions, you're going to confront them. You're going to say, you're going to believe what I believe. And if you're not there yet, we're going to fix you. There's a sense that fundamentalism is not only about having convictions. It's about being very nervous when other people don't believe what you believe. And this is something that Paul realizes that the people who are Jewish are following Jesus and they're doing something to Judaism that is driving Paul insane. He's like, no. Now, when I I learn about Paul over the years as as a pastor, this always happens to me. I read about someone's life in the Bible and I always feel like it doesn't apply to me. Because you know what? I didn't get up today thinking I hate people. I didn't get up today thinking, how do I destroy the church or how to destroy something else. I kind of like, I'm trying to be friendly. You know, I'm a nice guy. You guys know me, right? Some of you, yeah, a bit, no? That, like that was such an easy thing. You all could have said, of course. You could have said, amen. All of you looked at me like with confusion. You're like, are you a nice guy? Yes, I'm a very nice guy. So you read about Paul and you're like, I don't know, like it's a beautiful story in the Bible, but I'm not sure how it applies to me. So I want to tell you that we're going to look at Paul's life in a very unique way this morning. We're going to look at something that happens in Paul's life that is meant to, to teach us something about what God's doing in our lives, okay? We're going to see how Paul, this guy, moves from being a hater to experiencing healing to being used for God's holiness. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Very, very simple. You see on the slide. He's going to move from being a hater to experiencing, to experiencing God's healing And then he's going to move to a place of holiness. Now, you might know this. Holiness means to be set apart. Okay? That Saul is about to learn that God's going to take his hate, heal him, and then set him apart for the works of his church. It's like no one expects this. And so it's kind of like I want to give you a snapshot of what happens in his life because this is a pattern that needs to happen in all of our lives. Every single day we get up, We are invited to be people who are going to have revenge, who are going to hate, who are going to get our own way. Or we are people who say, God, you can heal this. You can heal this pain that I'm carrying against this person. You can restore a relationship that is not going well. And you can can make me the person that you set apart to tell others that you can heal them. Saul wants none of this in his life. Now, can you imagine like a person who's a religious fundamentalist like Paul, like he's committed, he's doing the right thing. He's like, this is the right thing to do. I'm, I'm defending God. You know, anytime you see fundamentalism, you people are defending God. If you think God needs defending, we're not talking about the Christian God, okay? So there's a sense that for Saul, this is his life's mission. And at the end of his life, near the end of his life, this is what he's gonna write, just to feel the transition of his life. He says this, brothers and sisters, We urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Paul. We're going to come a long way from the guy who wants to destroy the church to this guy. When you read this, you're like, how did a fundamentalist become this? 
patient, kind, listen, wait, be gentle. Some people aren't there yet. How did this happen? You know what happens? He meets Jesus. That's what happens. Something that should happen to each of us when we're serious about being present with the fact that Jesus is available to meet with us. He's meeting with us when we worship and when we learn. So at one point, this is what we're told. You'll see this. Paul, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, if you're taking notes, you have your Bible, you would circle the word the way. It's the first name we have in the Bible of how Christians called themselves, the people of the way. It's kind of a cool name. Whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we're told that Saul, in full destruction mode, has connections. You know, people have connections. Like having connections is a word that we use in our culture. You can make a call. You know? Do you know anybody like that? Does it ever happen to you? You park your car and you get a parking ticket and you're like, I wish I had a connection. Or you're like speeding, you get a ticket. You're like, do I know anybody? And actually to have connections, it's a really kind of a common thing you would say today. Well, I know someone and they know me. Paul has connections with the high priest. This is a big deal. This is someone, if we're reading in the Bible, who has the, the ability to destroy the church, it's this guy. He really not only has a connection, but we're told that when he travels to places, he's about to go to a place called Damascus. You can, you can put the slide back on the screen there. He's about to go to Damascus, and he's looking for this group of people called the way. And one of the beautiful things about the way, it's probably a reference to the fact that Jesus says, I am the way. He's not just the way to heaven. He's the way to life. He's the way to the truth. He's the way to everything. He's the way that we center our lives on. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't understand that. I thought, oh, Jesus is the way that when you die, you hope you go to heaven. Try not to think of it that way. Jesus is bigger than that. Because if you just learn that Jesus is the way to heaven, you'll only think about following him when you're about to die. But if you learn that Jesus is always the way, right now you're thinking, does my life align itself with the way of that Jesus? With the way he spoke, with the way he lived, with the things he said, and is my life centered on his ways? Saul says, there's this group of people. They believe that the guy we killed is alive. And they're getting together. They sing songs, they pray, they might have a potluck. Does anybody know where they are? The high priest would know. The high priest would know exactly where they are. And he decides, maybe I could just get their names and we could put them in prison. Do you think the high priest would be like, uh, Saul, that's not gonna be a good idea? No, we're told that that's what he thinks is a great idea. Now, can I just help you see something that you could miss? You could be a Christian for a long time, not see this. Saul knows something about the early Christians already, that they're already gathering together to worship Jesus together. They're already doing this thing that they were doing when they were Jews, which is they were gathering together to worship Yahweh as God. And now when they gather together, they're saying Jesus is God too. We worship him. So that means that for the earliest Christians, being the church together was an essential way that they worship. That's why we continue to tell you about the churches being, being so important and the church not being optional, right? At this point in the series, you, if you didn't get this yet, that the church is not optional, you're just not listening. You're just kind of like, oh, Dom said a nice thing today. I like that joke. Yeah, whatever. Write this joke down. The church is just not optional. 
in the book of Acts, Saul knows that. He says, you know what? Where do they gather? Is there a list of their names? Did they sign up for COVID protocol? Because if we have a list, we can go to their house. Perfect. That's what Saul decides he's going to do. Do you know how angry you have to be to plan this? Have you ever been this angry about anything in your life? Where you get up at night and you're like, okay, I need to Google map this. If I go to those people's houses, I'll bring them first to the prison. If I go to those people's houses, they live in the North Shore. Okay, that's too far. Like how angry do you have to be? But remember, Saul thinks he's being faithful. He's like, this is what God will want me to do. He's so committed to seeing the story of Israel through the lens of this fundamentalist approach. There's convictions and we have to fix people and they're going to know and there's going to be a confrontation with those people. That's what he does. And then something happens that changes everything. This is what it says. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is probably the most epic moment in the story of the beginning of the church. This is the moment where we realize that Jesus says to Saul, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. Do you see that? Do you see how crazy this is? Because we live in a time where so many people will say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church, right? When they say that to me, I'm like, oh, you don't have a Bible. Let me give you a Bible, it's gonna help you, right? They don't know that when you read the Bible, Jesus says, you're trying to kill Christians who gather to worship me as Lord? Now we will talk, Saul, you and I. And Jesus says, when you persecute them, you persecute me. You know why this is so important? Because Paul himself will tell us something that he's going to learn in the next 10 years of his life, that Jesus is the head of the church. Think of a body. He's the head of the body. And he's like, when you hurt the body, it impacts me. And Saul's going to realize that he has no idea what's happening. Because what we find out when you read the story is that for the next few days, Saul is going to be blind. He won't be able to see anymore. He's going to be so disoriented in his life, and he's going to be like, like, what just happened to me? The people in the story who are with him, it says that there's some men with him. They see a flash. They're not sure what's going on. And Saul realizes something is about to change in his life forever. This is the moment where Saul the hater meets the healer. You know, when I read this, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, when is Jesus going to yell at him? Like, when's he going to say to him, oh, yeah, you watch now. That's what, I, that's what I want Jesus to do, right? That's always me, like, in human revenge mode. Well, he should put him in prison. But let's do that. You know, but you know what's going to happen? Paul will end up in prison. He will. That this moment that he realizes that these people who gather as the church are being drawn together by a Jesus he, one, didn't believe in, and two, he should be dead. How is this possible? Every time I read this passage, you know, and I, I, I study it, I always think of so many people that I know who don't believe in Jesus. 
And I always say, God, can't you do this to them? Like, can't you just freak them out a bit? Like, you want to pray for people, you're like, okay, like my friend, you know, he, he's not sure if he believes in you. When he's driving on the highway, can you do something special? Like, blind them for three days. Like, you're not sure how to apply this passage. You're like, how does this passage apply? Because that's what we want. You know why? Because when you read Saul's life, you're like, if this happened to everyone, there'd be a lot of Christians. If this happened to everybody we know, they'd be like, listen, it was, our life was changed. We don't know what to say. But the truth is, is that it is happening. It's happening to people. It happened to me and it happened to you. The moment where you realize that Jesus was saying to you, it's time for you to surrender your way of life, surrender the ways of the world that are built on hate, revenge, getting your way, and to let me heal you. There's been times in my life over this past year where I've prayed for God to do that to me. To say, God, I'm so angry. I have every reason to be angry. I'm upset at this person and that person and family and not family. But I'm like, Jesus, you healed Saul. You did something in him that you can do in my life. If there's one area of your life that Jesus would have to heal, what would it be? We often think of like our physical body, right? You have pain, you're like, oh, heal my shoulder, my neck. But think about the internal spiritual life. What's an area of your life that Jesus might touch and heal? Because Saul's story is what it looks like when we move from being who are people who hate, who have revenge, who struggle, who are like, this is what it's going to be like. And Jesus says, now you're going to meet me and you're going to taste what it's like to be healed. That God wants to offer us this. When the church takes this seriously, the world that's dying to experience this healing will see God's healing in our lives. He'll see God at work in our midst and be like, there's something that happens there that we can't kind of name. We can't put our finger on it, but these are people who really believe that Jesus can heal them. Saul is convinced, like, this is crazy. This can't go on for too much longer. In the passage, he, he refers to, to Jesus, the voice. He says, Lord. Lord, in the biblical sense, it doesn't mean like God. It means like a respectful name for like, is this some respectful deity? Like what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, Saul's story kind of takes a little pause. So just together to make sure you're all awake, say pause. Okay, we'll just try it again. Everybody say pause. If you're at home, did you hear that? They did not. They told me. Everyone say pause. I'm kidding, by the way. I don't have an earpiece, but that'd be so cool. <laughs> we pause. Saul is like, what just happened to me? And the Bible tells us that we're introduced to another person called Ananias. Like, the most unknown person. Like, how many of you know a kid named Ananias? How many of you know somebody who has a pet named Ananias? No one. You never hear his name. He's one of the most important people in all of the New Testament. Nobody even hears their name. Why? Because most people don't understand how essential this is for what it means to be the church. This is what we're told. Read it for you. It says, so, so Saul gets up and, and he goes on. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight street. Nice name. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and, place, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, 
Ananias answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Ananias is everyone I've ever met. Ananias is the person who realizes that he has the most difficult and scary job you could ever imagine. God says to Ananias, you now will be the first person to show Saul of Tarsus what it means that I am a God who has servants who obey me. Remember that. Ananias does what all of us would have done in that situation. How many of you would say, if you're honest, you'd be like, are you sure like, we can't send an email? Are you sure we can't just watch from online? YouTube is good, right? Everyone at home? Are you sure we have to inconvenience ourselves and go to Paul's house? And like Ananias in this vision, it does like what Moses does. Like maybe someone else, like maybe someone else can go. Like, do you know how dangerous this might be? Years ago, I remember reading this passage when God was stirring in my heart that I would have to leave where I lived in Ontario to come plant a church in Quebec. And every time I read it, I thought, God, you should send someone else. Because I don't care. I'm not going there. Do you know how much work or inconvenience, it's going to be weird? What if people don't like church? What if people in Quebec don't go to church? And in those moments when God says, go, you just feel the sense of something we talked about last week, that the church is a family that is sent. That at the heart of what we do, it's not like we just gather, we hang out, we just like being together, we like the music, maybe the teaching helps you. It's not that. That at different times, God says to me and to you, you are going to go now. And all of us pray. Every single person listening to me right now, if you're a Christian, you pray that where God sends you to go is going to be easy. That's what you, you're like, anybody would go. Oh, we're going to the water park? Oh, wow. It's going to be amazing. No, you're going to go to the guy that you've heard kills my followers. Go to his house. And Ananias is like, no, 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 no. Can you imagine him telling his wife? It would be nice if you had that, right? On Mother's Day. Hey, babe, listen, I had a vision, and I have to go see this guy, and she's like, you're crazy. What if he kills you? What if it's, a, what if it's not true? What, all the things, you know, don't you wish sometimes you had all of that there? Ananias is like, can we just all today commit that we're going to pray that God would stir in us to be people like Ananias? I want to be like Paul, but the church need, needs people like Ananias. People that God would send into the lives of people who only know how to hate so that they would experience healing. People that would go in the most inconvenient, painful, sacrificial way to say, God, would you send me and move me and stir in me a desire to see people who live in this painful place, in this frustrating place. I mean, Saul is blind now, can't see. That they would taste a bit of your healing because you led me into their lives. Make us those kinds of people. This is a wonderful prayer. The scariest prayer, by the way, you could pray. But Ananias realizes that he's not going to get out of this. He is going to have to go. And this is what we're told happened. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the first time. He's called Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This week, could you just find some time in your schedule to go back and reread this? Just read this. Just you alone. No commentary. No, just read it. Because it is the life of this Paul that is about to change the Roman Empire forever. Because Ananias went and Saul realized that God is moving him from being somebody who's a fundamentalist in a way where he can control and confront to a person who's experienced healing and now a sense of God setting apart. God is about to set him apart and to use him in a new way. You know that most of the New Testament in our Bible is written by this Paul. That he is going to be selected to write to numerous churches. He's going to write to churches. And he's the greatest example of being a church planter. He's going to plant churches. You know, when we started the 180, we didn't just think it up like an idea, like, hey, we should, we get it from the Bible. Where Saul is like, okay, now, what do I do? This week, as you read this passage, maybe you would be someone who'd be honest with the fact that from the beginning of the church, there were people who wanted the worshiping of God's people not to happen. Not to exist. Saul was committed that he would destroy these people. And yet Jesus says, I'm in their midst now. This will never happen. And not only will it not happen, you will be one of my greatest servants now. You will go and you will tell others that I love them with your life. And if you remember at the beginning of the passage, Saul is going to find people that he can put in prison. And now within a few short years, he will find himself in prison. Not discouraged, not sad, but writing letters in our New Testament to churches. It is impossible to read your Bible and not realize this, that the Bible is a book written to churches, people worshiping Jesus together. So hopefully you're starting to understand that to be the church, to worship together as the church, is not an option. It's at the heart of everything that God does. And Saul is the person who will tell us what happens in his life. Next few weeks, we're going to wrap up the series and we're going we're gonna to enter some of the things that Saul says. He's the person that says these things. You and I know people that we care about that want nothing to do with church. And every time I read the Bible, I think it's beautiful that the Bible puts right at the center of the story of the faith somebody who wanted to destroy the church. And Jesus is like, read this now and see what I did. See how I stirred in someone a new way of seeing the world. Let's just stand as we close. For some of you, maybe this is still like just the beginning of understanding what we're about. If you're watching us online, maybe you're, 
you're newer to Christianity, as you read your Bible, as you learn about Christianity, you're going to meet this guy Saul a lot. You're going to read what he writes. And you're going to feel that Jesus is doing something in him that Jesus is still doing in us today. He's taking us from people who can just live with our hate, with our own ways, with our frustration, with our own sin. And he's saying, let me heal that. Let me heal that and restore that. And let me show you how I will set you apart to be those who serve me. So as I pray today, maybe just think in your minds areas in your life where Jesus might just say, let me heal this now. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you remind us of the power of Jesus to restore and to heal the most broken things in our life? We thank you for the scriptures that allow us to see how you were doing that with your earliest followers. We pray that the story of Saul would be a reminder to us today that you are building your church and that all of the powers of hell and those who would want to destroy it will not be able to compete with your love. Because when we bring you hate, you love us. When we bring you anger, you restore something in us. Would you do in our lives, in our time, what you were doing in the life of Paul? And would you make us people like Ananias, who would go where you call us to go? To be present with people who are not sure what they believe yet. And to help them to see that we are your church and you are the head of this church. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Everyone, I just pray you take some time this week. Read through that passage. For mothers, once again, happy Mother's Day. We pray it's really special considering all the restrictions. We're really, really grateful if you tuned in online. You know, we had a full house today. You can sign up soon. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you, everyone. See you next week.